You're listening to Aggie Radio 92.3 KVLU LP Logan, and this is the Aggie Radio Sports Show. I am Jacob Nielsen. Alongside me, Jake Ellis, the sports manager of the Utah Statesman. If you're still listening after listening to the Coaches Show with Ryan Odom, thank you for sticking around. If uh, you're sick of a a dismal national championship game, (laughs) Georgia butt-kicking TCU too bad, and you need a different outlet of sports entertainment, so you tune in. Also fantastic. We're we're happy to be here. I got the game on if you want any updates, but at this point I think I think the verdict's out. Twenty four seven Georgia, they're about to score again. <laughs> so you know, we're we're happy to be to be back. It's the first day of the winter semester. Or I guess is it winter or spring semester? I think it's spring technically. Technically but it spring feels, semester. It feels like winter. It feels right like now, winter. Let me tell you. But let's be real. Logan feels like winter six months of the year. Yeah. Um <laughs> So, you know, we're feeling good, feeling chirpy, ready to chat some uh, Utah State sports. There's plenty to talk about since we last gathered and met. And so, yeah, Jake, how you doing, man? How was the break? How you feeling about Aggie hoops and whatnot? Um, break was all right. Um, I'm doing well tonight. Um, I'm excited for tomorrow night when the Cowboys come to town and the I can pokes. hopefully get this bad taste out of my mouth from Saturday night. Oh, what happened Saturday night? Go on a oh, bad date? Oh, uh, close. The Aggies did. Yeah, they certainly did. And it's with, uh, you know, that, that, uh, X that everybody tells them to, you know, stop, stop dealing with. And then every time they go up and they get their hearts broken and it's, it's quite a shame. <laughs> you know, the, the Boise state buck and Broncos, they got, uh, they got the Aggies number in, uh, in both uh, football and men's everything. basketball, so yeah, that was a that was a tough game on Saturday. Men's basketball first quad one opportunity of the of the year, right? They played a lot of good opponents. They're what five and zero, four and zero in quad two games, which is great. They go up quad one opportunity, sell out there in the Taco Bell Arena. All three tiers, all three arena. tiers, and <laughs> now let me be clear with you: if you've never been. To the Taco Bell Arena that I believe is called the Extra Miles Extra Arena, mile, yeah. but it used to be called Taco Bell Arena. That's what it used to be called. Utah State had an NCAA tournament game there, and I believe 2010 against Kansas State with Spencer Spencer Nelson and Cole. Mm-hmm. They should have won that game. They blew it. Anyways, that doesn't matter. <laughs> they never played well. Why in are you the bringing up arena. old wounds, man? <laughs> oh, it'd be because it's easier than bringing up this fresher wound. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so they they go up there. Now keep in mind three decks at this arena is not like three decks anywhere else. It's like uh I don't it's like a like a mini concert hall. You know, like the local theater claims to have three decks. Like my high school auditorium claims to have three decks. This is like the Boise State arenas they claim to have three decks. It's not that <laughs> big. It's not much bigger than the Spectrum if at all. But they did sell it out. Wild I, crowd and they Boise really took it to them. They played some good basketball and Utah State did not. Yeah, that final score 82-59 if you forgot. 23 points. Um, and it was indicative of how the game went, really. Yeah. It really just seemed like it was over uh, midway through that first half at times. And um, it was an emotional game at times. Tempers flared, uh, drama, of course, and, and a big blow to USU with, with Ryland Jones being out now for, you know, at least for Wyoming, probably a little bit of a while. You know, we, we won't speculate. We're not doctors, but obviously – you know, got his head banged up there. Was bleeding from the lip. So, yeah. um, gonna be gonna be tough for the Aggies to to miss out on Ryland Jones and all those uh, extra things he does that don't necessarily show up in the in the stat sheet. 
and then the stuff that does show up in the stat sheet, all his assists and, you know, the occasional three-pointer that he knocks in. Um, I wish there was a clutch factor on when, like, a basket comes in. Like a little, like, hey, this was at, like, you know, when the Aggies were down by two, this three went in. Like, if that was there, a lot of those would go to Ryland Jones. Yeah, he always does have timely buckets. And, yeah, I, I think everything about the game was a disappointment. One of the big questions about the Aggies is, are they a physical basketball team? In the physical, wild, wild Mountain West, can they hang? Can they bash around with guys? Because they don't quite have the same rebounding identity and such that they've had in recent years, especially under Craig Smith's team. And against Boise State, the Broncos punched them in the mouth. They out-rebounded them by, I believe, 12 boards, had several timely offensive rebounds. And the stuff that Utah State does well, they didn't do well, right? They they generated some open shots. They did not go in. It didn't seem like the ball movement was quite there the way that we regularly see it. And Boise State, I thought some of the personnel matchups, Utah State was um, a bit overwhelmed trying to slow down Degenhart and everything that they, they had to offer. And part of that, too, was the Broncos shot 60% from beyond yeah. the arc, right? And yep. so that's going to be really hard to beat. There's things you can do to try to limit that that they did poorly of. Like, I thought the rotations were poor, but for the most part, I thought Boise State was the more physical team, more aggressive team, and Utah State looked a little, they looked a little soft. They did. I'm just, I don't think that that's sustainable. I think that, I don't think it's an indication of this team. I think that they have good players, and I think they have players that aren't soft and are going to play hard, mm-hmm. but that's what it felt like watching this two hours against Boise State. I will say, um, you're mentioning guys that can play through that. I thought uh, I thought Dan Atkin had a tremendous game up there. Uh, you know, there was moments, right, where maybe emotions got the better of him or something like that. But uh, there was also times where, you know, he, he battled. T- he's, he's a small guy. He's undersized when they play him at the five like that. Um, but he he had a tremendous strength, and I, I feel like he's, he's really emerged as a consistent guy every night, I almost double digits every night. Uh, almost a double double, you know. Sometimes he gets a little more rebounds. Sometimes he gets a few more points. But um, what? Who? Who do you? Who else do you think uh, could step up there and provide that physical presence when when they do play teams like that? Well, I I agree with you that Akin is that guy. I think he's the most physically imposing guy on the team. And the way that a lot of these Mountain West schools play defense and the kind of banging down low and stuff that's going to happen. Aggies need that production from Mack, and they need him to get those double digits. They need him to make free throws. They also need him to keep his emotions in check yeah. because he let that get away from him a little bit on Saturday. There were two separate moments where the first one he probably should have gotten a technical in the first <laughs> half when he slammed the ball down. Yep. And then the second one, um, he did get a technical. I, I think that that was Max Rice, pesky little coach of Sung, mm-hmm. really poking at his side he, he knew what which buttons to press yeah. but uh dan needs to have his what's about him his composure and then perform the sorry, to quick. the level that we see him which he did in stretches on saturday but not for the whole game yeah no i so i just want to say like the aggies need that emotion that energy they right that, that that's good but like you're saying it needs to come at the right moment right mm-hmm. um and there was those two moments like you mentioned that we're not we're not the right moment for for no. that, and I and he knows that, um, and the coaches know that, his teammates know that, and uh, I would be surprised to see it happen like that again. Yeah, uh, I think the other player that we need to see more physicality out of, to your point, the Aggies right now don't have Rylan Jones, and 
size-wise, he doesn't bring it, but he brings the grit factor. So not having him, you lose that. But I think the guy that we really need to see be gritty is Taylor Funk. Taylor Funk is uh, arguably the most gifted player on the team in a lot of ways. He can shoot the lights out, but he's big. He knows how to rebound. He's had double-digit rebounding performances several times this season, but we need him to be more of a Justin Bean type and less of a Brandon Horvath type in certain regards. He's got to get his fingernails dirty. He's not He's not going to outweigh some of these big men, but he's got to be able to exert himself exert himself, assert himself, and just uh, leave it out on the line because there have been a few moments where I think that he's content just being this perimeter guy and whatnot when he really needs to be bringing the issue every single possession offensively and defensively. And if Akin plays the way that he does, but keeps it under control, and then Funk brings it as well, I think that um, I think that they could – hang physically with some of these other tougher teams in the conference yeah yeah i agree with you there and um you know there, there's there's other solutions too you can um you know maybe you can play some more minutes from trevin doris or you can uh bring in sapala some more uh when you when you're dealing with someone like you know graham Ike or, or nathan mensa or some someone like that but mm-hmm. um it it definitely seems like uh this is a turning point of, of the aggie season like this is uh, as much of, you know, I mean, the Weber State game to to a point was somewhat where like, hey, like we, you know, we lost the the undefeated mark, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like this one is definitely more important. It's that that first conference loss where you really saw, you know, the best that the Mountain West is going to give you the that toughness, the hostile environment, um, you know, a, a poor shooting night where you have to find things, you know, down low or, or switch things up because what you're doing isn't working. And we didn't see that answer Saturday night, um, but hopefully it taught enough of, of a lesson that they have that answer coming down the stretch. And really this, you say turning point of the season, really in a lot of ways this is the beginning of the season because, yeah. the, I mean, the, the non-conference play counts just as much for building an at-large resume and whatnot, and they did play really quality teams, but it's a different beast when you're playing the Mountain West, the talent of the Mountain West, really, really good coaches that aren't going to be surprised by the tools that you have on your team, right? And we saw we saw a really talented Utah State team last year kind of get worn down by this conference grind, and they didn't even go 500 in the conference play. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that – I think that two things. The non-conference schedule showed that this Utah State team can be really, really good. But the second thing is none of that really matters if they can't show it in conference play. And so it starts tomorrow against Wyoming because, yes, Wyoming has had a down year, but they still got Hunter Maldonado. They still played San Diego State and New Mexico tight. This is a team with Mountain West talent, and Jeff Linder will absolutely have these guys ready for Utah State despite all the injury woes that they're going through. And so this this is just one of those classic games that – I don't know if Utah State wins with with last year's team. A year of experience. I think that this is a more talented team this year. A deeper team. Can they get this one at home that they need? It's gonna it's gonna be a big answer. Yeah. It really doesn't get much easier the the next week and a half because 
you know, after Wyoming, you have you have to go on the road to Nevada, who is right up there at the top of the conference right now. Four um, now. Like, <laughs> where, where did the Wolfpack come from? I I didn't expect that. Um, and you got to go down to Reno, and with their winning ways, it's going to be a tougher environment than it has been the last year or two. And you know, there's already there's a little bit of a history. I mean, a lot of the players have changed since that fire extinguisher game, but you know that. That could be one. That could be uh, another tough grind, uh, another uh, battle of uh, bitter feelings, if you will. Sure. Um, that could oh, be and tough. I mean, Nevada, similar to Boise State, Nevada was in the whack with uh, yeah, Utah State. Yeah, so it's a long the, time. They were a main antagonist to some of those two moral teams that were trying to go for those whack crowns and whatnot. And so the fan bases for, for basketball are familiar with each other for between Nevada and Utah State. And never easy to go out to Reno, but especially – when they're winning so you're right i mean this week is tough you look further than that it just stays tough it, that's because it's the mountain west and it's loaded it's deep this year and the net rankings their composite is higher than the acc which mm-hmm. is unheard of yeah but that's just the reality of uh of mountain west basketball this year it's just it's mind-blowing because you see san jose state um on the 21st but it's like you know spartans spartans are looking pretty good this year around Omari Moore is progressing more. Uh, I did not even mean that to, <laughs> to come across, but he's progressing. Um, that turnaround is starting to form a little bit there in the Bay. And then, you know, Fresno State, who the Aggies took care of at home to start conference play, they beat New Mexico. So, like, it, this this conference is a lot closer than it has, has been in the past. Um, and those, those league leaders or projected leaders are going to have a – Tough time every night out. Yeah, and I think UNLV and New Mexico both having good squads this year is big time because those are two, they're not blue bloods on a national level, but in a regional level, those are kind of two blue bloods of college basketball, especially New Mexico with the basketball fan base they have and what the Rebels can be if they're consistently good. You look, you look at those two teams and they're playing really good basketball too. It's like, watch out. Watch out for the, for the league. The only team, you can say Colorado State and Wyoming are a little bit down. We knew the Rams would because they lost David Roddy. Wyoming because of all the injuries. But besides that, everybody else seems to be treading up. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else you want to say about the men's scene this week? They just uh, just make, make your shots, Aggies, right? <laughs> like, we, like, the number-wise... They're the darlings of the analytics because they have these games where they play flawlessly. Washington State is a great team, and they made it look so easy. I just want them to play. It, it almost feels like it's this all or nothing with them sometimes. Like Either they're perfectly in sync and shooting over 50% from three-point range and totally dialed in, up by 20 the whole game, or they're in this grit and grind mode where they're out of sync, they're not defending very well. Against Wyoming... Wyoming's going to do everything they can to keep them out of sync. They just need to play well enough to win, but win their way. Win by hitting threes, win by playing good defense and controlling the tempo. And they don't need to blow them out of the water. They just need to get that result. Yeah, and that that reminds me of, you know, you know I'm a, a bit of an atmosphere guy. I like the pageantry of sports um, at times. And uh, this I feel like this is one that, you got to win uh, the Aggie crowd on. You have to, you have to beat a Wyoming team that has had your number the last year or two. And um, 
in a big night on national TV, uh, you know, an 8:30 matchup in the Spectrum. Like this is one of those games that can be all out, and if you win this, you can keep that momentum and really make the Spectrum a tough t- place to play the rest of the season. Yeah, and certainly I think it's going to be a tough place to play tomorrow night because, yeah. um, you know, school's back in session, but it, I think kids are excited to see Splashworth and Taylor <laughs> Funk, and I mean Wyoming's a team that moves the needle a little bit. Let know? me tell you, people that. Uh, I've never talked sports with before on campus. I'm seeing them, and they're like, "Hey, that number three guy, man, he he's good. He can really shoot it." And people are getting excited uh, that you know may not be necessarily, you know, have their pull styled on on Aggie hoops normally. So, yeah. like like I said, I think this is a chance to really earn that that fan support that it could help them in, in these close matches. And Jake, you and I have both been on campus for a while, me a little bit longer, in in some ways, but. There's something about the momentum that that kind of builds with the basketball season, and this this place is special because it always supports the team. But that hype can really, really build and accelerate quickly if Utah State wins big games in big atmospheres. Because what happens is those kids that maybe they're not all dialed in and they know quad one and quad two and the bubble and this and that, they just are entertained and support their team. They see Utah State win a big game against Wyoming tomorrow in front of a big atmosphere, guess what? They'll come back. They keep winning those games. It gets crazier, right? That's what we saw in 2018, Craig Smith's first year. I'm telling you, it was good at, a good atmosphere from the get-go that season. But by the end, by the San Diego State game, by the Nevada game, it was among the best atmospheres in the country. And that's that's the, the ceiling of Utah State atmospheres. But it, it starts with the play on the court. So we'll see what they can do tomorrow. Definitely. Um, let's, let's swing over to, oh, and a quick reminder, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, the USU Winter Sports Magazine coming out, so uh, get to the game and, and grab a magazine. There's stories on every winter team. Um, you got both hoops teams. You and want hockey? We got hockey. You want gymnastics? We got gymnastics. Women's basketball, men's basketball, we got it all. USU Winter Sports Magazine. We even got... We even got snowboarding and skiing this year. Sheesh. Man, the winter is covered. It's in this magazine. And uh, guess what? There's little trading cards in there. You can cut them out. You got cards of your favorite Aggie players right there in the magazine. So Would really like exciting. That? If you can't make it to the game, uh, you know you can always pull it up online, USUStatesman.com. We got the Winter Sports Magazine there. Stop by the TSE. Um, pick yeah. one up from the, 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 the USU Student Media Office. Exactly. Uh, really exciting. So hope, hopefully y'all are excited for that magazine. We put a lot of work into it, and we hope you enjoy it. Um, then, uh, yeah, let's let's go to the women's hoop side. Um, I'm not going to say much about that Colorado State loss. Let's let's gloss over that. Um, but the Boise State game, the score 73-56. That you know doesn't look too good, right? I mean, you hearing that score it doesn't sound great, right? No. But this was a really interesting game. Because the Aggie defense was there early. They uh, they really made the Broncos struggle. I'm trying to pull up. Yeah, just seven points in the first quarter allowed uh, by the Aggies. Um, they had a lead over Boise State uh, at, you know, for, for quite a while there. Um, they actually, if you look at the, the time stamp over the whole game, the Aggies led most of that game, you know, or more than, than Boise State did. It was like 18 minutes compared to 16. It's not like the hugest margin, right? But, you know, 
shows like, hey, they, they had a pretty good start there. But again, it was just a really tough second quarter where they got outscored. Um, they bounced back in the third. And then the fourth, they were just drained. They were, they were out of gas. The defense started lacking, and they gave up 26 points in that quarter. And that's really what lost the game on them. Can I tell you something, young Jake Ellis? Hmm. I have never heard in my life more of a attempt at moral victories <laughs> than what we see with any discussion surrounding USU women's basketball this season. They're not a good team. Have they put together a complete four quarters? Once? I I don't know. I, I don't think so. I don't think so I don't either. Think so. Yeah. This isn't the same team they got rolled by forty at Utah Tech, maybe. Sure, they hung with Boise for a little bit. Congratulations. They don't win these basketball. They don't win. They they maybe are competing for a certain stretch of time, but that's that's should be the bar minimum. They're Division One scholarship athletes. They should be competing against other Division One scholarship athletes. They cannot win a game, and they cannot play a complete game. And I don't watch enough of the team to tell you if that's personnel or if that's the coaching or what it is. I hear things in that, but I don't think I'm as uh, dialed in. I don't think it's appropriate for me to throw out these broad accusations on air about things. But all I know is I look at the results, and the results are pathetic. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, that is what everyone's going to see at the end of the day is that, you know, that 20-point margin where, um, yeah, it just it was it doesn't look like it was close. And you have to dive in to see that, you know, maybe they even had a chance at, at any point in that game. So, you're right. It's, it's tough times. Tough times for USC women hoops. How is it, though, doing the, the color for the for the team? Oh, it's a lot of fun. With I, ha- I haven't done the last couple games. I, I got other commitments with high school teams. But, oh, that's right. Um, it's uh, it's a good time. I really enjoy that. It It is a fun atmosphere. And those, and those players, uh, you know, some some really great, great ladies on that team. Um and so I, I think that's <laughs> that's maybe part of the reason why I try to look for some of these moral victories, right? But sure, yeah, I, um, I'm more detached. I don't, I don't yeah, have any yeah, yeah. relationships with these girls, so I'm not. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for me to just you know, yeah, just go off it a little bit. But no, you're right. It, there there does need to be some improvement. I mean, Coach Ard was was frustrated after the last game. You can read all about. It. If you're a little more interested, we have a you know a great recap by Nate Dunn on USUStatesman.com. If you want to read more into that that Boise State game where. He, he goes a little more analytically involved in there, um, some trends, some statistical trends, things like that, that he's been seeing um, because he has been, you know, a little a little closer to that woman's, woman's hoops beat as well. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't know if there's any answers right now that I can offer of what they need to, you know, we had some ideas for the men's team, but um, we'll just have to see, you know what what they can do because this is a this is a long Mountain West season and if it's yeah. going to be like this every night, it's going to be really tough. It certainly will, Jake Ellis. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to chat a little bit Utah State football as they get into the off season and some of the personnel changes and such in that regard. This program is brought to you by AggieCribs.com. Looking for housing in Logan? Rent too much and need a roommate? Getting married and need to sell your contract? Look no further than AggieCribs.com. AggieCribs is your one-stop shop for easily buying and selling student housing in Logan, Utah. Post your contract on the roommate board or check out both on and off-campus housing. All absolutely free and perfect for students. College is hard. Housing shouldn't be. 
More information at AggieCribs.com. Calling all Aggies in Utah. Show your love for USU while contributing to student scholarships with the Aggie license plate. 100% of your $25 annual contribution goes directly towards student scholarships. Give the gift of education and ride with Aggie pride. Visit usu.edu slash A plate for more info and go Aggies. Programming on Aggie Radio is brought to you by Aggie Print. Aggie Print is the university's professional print shop with a variety of custom options ranging from promotional flyers to apparel and engraving. Aggie Print has two locations on USU campus. Their main office is located at 880 East and 1250 North with a quick print location on the first floor of the Taggart Student Center. More information can be found at print.usu.edu. Hey Aggies, looking for new ways to get involved, make new friends, and get professional experience? Aggie Radio has a place for you. Find out how you can get involved at our website, radio.usu.edu, and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Aggie Radio Sports Show on 92.3 KBLU LP Logan, presented by the Utah Statesman. Another reminder, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, at the Wyoming game, grab the USU Winter Sports Magazine uh, covers all the winter sports, uh, even hockey, uh, gymnastics, skiing, snowboarding, as well as both basketball teams got features on Taylor Funk, Dan Atkin, RJ Idlerock, uh, Tamio Robinson, uh, and the new head coach, Christian uh, White of USU Gymnastics. So really, really well put together piece uh, by my team. I'm really proud of their work, and I hope you all enjoy that. Um, Jacob, lots of movement. And the football front, what do you have to say about it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the bowl game came and went. Certainly uh, poor performance by the Aggies. I don't know if they personally believed that they were going to win that game because they they didn't didn't play very well. Memphis uh, had them beat in a lot of different personal matchups, but it would have taken a perfect game, and far from that is what happened. So they're reeling from that, and then they start losing guys to the transfer portal, right? And a couple of things that we should preface, this isn't a problem that is distinct to Utah State football. This is happening everywhere in the country. But the Aggies are at an inherent disadvantage in a couple of ways. And there's going to be three things that I want to lay out to you. First one is the transfer portal. Second one is NIL. And the third one is I'm going to kind of discreetly discuss some of the issues with a certain position group, right? So the NIL and the transfer portal, people kind of wrap them up as the same thing because it kind of happened at the same time, the uh, ability to not have to sit out when you transfer and the opportunity to make money off your name, image, and likeness. They're two different things that are compounding on each other to make it more difficult to keep talent on a football or anywhere in college on a roster, right? And here's the thing is if you're an athlete at Utah State – there are two incentives to transfer. If you are playing really well and you can go to that next level, you can go to a Power 5 school, there are two incentives. One, you don't have to sit out anymore, even if you've already transferred. Mm-hmm. Look at Daniel Greshik. He transferred from Nevada to Utah State, transferred right again. Regardless of what I think about that, which I think it is an awful rule that you can transfer willy-nilly, 
but we could get more he, into that later. He's a Power Five slot. No, no. He, he's, a, he's at Cincinnati. Yep. Their their first year of the Big Twelve. Exactly. So and it's a bigger stage. And so you have that. But then not only is there an incentive to upgrade per se in the level of program you're a part of without consequence, but there's a greater incentive because with these NIL collectives and different opportunities, there's a real chance to make money while you're in college, right? And so those two things combined, it's very difficult for a coaching staff to sell culture and environment and development when without consequence, you can be playing power five football and making money doing so, right? So that is the inherent issue with a lot of these things. And they're going to have a hard time to combat it. Something they need to do is Utah State needs to get an NIL collective. And here's the thing is it's, it's in the works that something that in the athletic department and with the football coaching staff, it's something that they want to have. But it's kind of like if I, I could go tomorrow and I could start a GoFundMe for my hot and spicy, for my McDonald's fries, uh, I could start a fund for that, for the, all the McDonald's that I eat throughout a week. And I can say, yeah, I got a fund. I got my own McDonald's collective. It does not matter one bit if nobody puts a dime in there, right? Yeah. And I ain't so, donating to your McDonald's eating. I, th- I tell think you, you should. <laughs> I, I think that would benefit you greatly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how or why? I'm not sure, but I just feel like it would. Okay. But that's the same thing with the NIL collectives is they have to do it right because there's only a certain level of amount of donor money that goes to the athletic department. They still need that straight to the athletic department, but now they need donors to start this collective and build this sort of pool of money that players can reap the benefits of. And we've seen this happen at several universities, including Mountain West schools. Mm-hmm. Some of them though, like Nevada's UNRs hasn't really gotten off the ground. So it's one thing to say, Oh yeah, we got a collective. There's no money in the picky bake. Yeah. What's the point? Right. And so that's something that they're, the university is going to have a really hard time doing is one, establishing it, but two, getting donors to not only keep donating to the athletic department to keep everything running there, but to start also donating to this, um, to this collective that will, obviously it's every collective is different and different marketing opportunities and different deals and, um, just advertisement deals for, for players is different. But at the end of the day, it's all about the green dollar and can a fan boy, can a fan base self-sustain that program and the individuals in it. And I don't know if Utah state has a big enough fan base for that. We're going to see if they can rally, if the problem gets worse and some of the big boosters say, Oh snap, we got to do something maybe. But so far, Utah State's had a major disadvantage there, and that's not something that no matter how good a recruiters Blake Anderson and the coaching staff are, you cannot convince a kid to not leave for greener pastures when there are no consequences to transfer and you can make more money being somewhere else. So, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm thinking is that I feel like development is still a really good pitch, and maybe – you kind of embrace the fact that it might be almost a bit of a JUCO stop in that, like, you might want to become a place where you give a kid an opportunity to shine at this level 
and expect, hey, okay, he'll probably move on after this. And so we just got to, you know, set up a pipeline where we are, you know, consistently providing this opportunity and showing like, hey, you can transfer out of here. Like you can get noticed here. And is that, that's kind of a weird pitch. You know, I I don't know that anyone's going to be happy with that idea for me, but I'm just saying like you show, show that you're a good developer, show how you turned around someone's season from, you know, maybe a, a decent, you know, defender at Nevada to someone that was, you know, collecting great stats in the games down the stretch of the season. Uh, you know, Colorado State was a big game. Uh, I, I'm i trying to remember what other, some good Grishik highlights there. I mean, I'm not to single out just Daniel Grishik, but I think that's a pretty good example of what mm-hmm. I'm saying here is that a guy that felt like he could be better, he just needed some more support, found it, and now has been elevated. Um, what do you think of that? Is that something that um, you might have to embrace, or is that – Respectfully, Jake Ellis, I <laughs> I disagree with that idea. Okay. That would be fruitful because um, any successful Utah State football program has it's come off the backs of several multi-year players playing very very well in 2011 and 2012 when they had those great teams. It was backed by a really talented defense that also was veteran laden. And then 2011, Robert Turbin was a senior running back. Right. The 2018 team, yeah, Jordan Love had a big big sophomore season but that year four of the five offensive linemen were seniors the defense had a ton of upperclassmen and you had and you had d-train and he was an upperclassman and so the idea that we could almost become a another junior college or another mediator step to a greater program i don't think that that would be a sustainable pitch because i don't think that they would ever get a roster necessary to compete for championships in the mountain west and the group of five if you have if you don't have guys sticking around in the program um you have a you know i mean i feel like you're talking me out of my point already because that, that's, <laughs> that's a good idea and like um so yeah, <laughs> i'm at a loss of my train of thought there um let's see go go ahead if it comes back to me i'll, I'll let you know Sure. Well, so let's let's just go over. If you haven't been dialed in Utah State football, uh, a couple of transfers since the bowl game, most notably Byron Vaughns and Daniel Greshik, two starting defensive ends, both in the transfer portal. Daniel Greshik verbally committed to Cincinnati. Byron Vaughns has gotten offers from Notre Dame and Florida State, among other places. So he has plenty of major options. Good for those guys. Great players. I thought they were good dudes. I've chatted mm-hmm. with both of them. Yeah. Best of luck to you guys. Absolutely, Byron and Daniel, go get after it. Mm-hmm. Also, two guys that transferred that I think you could argue were tougher losses because they are underclassmen that could have grown in this program is Tavion Coleman at defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. He transferred, and he's somebody that's not getting huge offers yet, right? He's gotten some FCS offers, so I'm thinking... He got a Sunbelt offer. Right? He got a Sunbelt so, offer, so, so I'm that, curious. But that's a pretty lateral could they, over there. Could they keep him around? And then the other one is Waylon Lapau, mm-hmm. our starting offensive lineman. That's a little bit of a punch to the gut because he enters the transfer portal. A day later, he is in BYU Royal Blue, right? Mm-hmm. And you got you got to ask yourself: Is there some tampering going on there? Because a dude doesn't enter the transfer portal and commit somewhere else the next day without a little bit something fishy going on. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't put it past the Cougars, but also I know that he has family <laughs> in Provo, so maybe they. 
Sure. Under recruited him last year and then realized they saw him and be like, oh, we actually need this guy, and it was right. a natural transition. And objectively, they BYU's lost a ton of great offensive linemen, so you know maybe you see that as an opportunity. Like, hey, yeah, like I'll, I could probably get my starting spot in a P five program where I have family. However, like you said, really quick turnaround there. Really so quick turnaround. That's what I think. You know, when we what I saw on Twitter at least was just a lot of people questioning that because of how quick it was. Um, obviously, you know, not not throwing any accusations there. It's just that that's a little strange because the other players we've seen, have, you know, are still in the portal. Have taken time to to think about that decision. You know. Yeah. The other, the third thing that I want to go over, and I have to be careful on my radio discussing this, but I think that something we got to look at is last offseason, defensive line coach Al LaPau, Utah State alum, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he is, he took a lateral job, he a lateral shift, he took the defensive line job at Nevada, right? And what Blake Anderson did is he had Alex Devine Mm -hmm. promoted him from within and has him as the defensive defensive line coach. And my question is, with the amount of talent there and the amount of guys that they lost, what's going on there? Is that the best fit for the program to have Alex Devine because he is young and promoted from within? Is that the best move? And is that position coach, is he the guy that needs to be in there right now? And so that that's something to think about. With the amount of transfers all coming from the same position group, you have to wonder about those things. Yeah, well, I, plenty of people have been wondering about that, right? I feel like it's seen a lot of it on social media of well, what's going on in that room because it, it really did come very quickly of Grishik, then Vons, then Coleman, all, all in a row there, um, very talented athletes leaving. Now, what what is wild is that that was the deepest room on the team expected of returners. Yeah, but they still will return Hale, mm-hmm. uh, Sunny Tuiaki, who will hopefully recover from his season-ending injury, uh, Phil Paella, John Ward, mm-hmm. and they just they added a, a, a junior college transfer for the position today, I believe, and hopefully will fill in the holes in other ways. But had really, some good freshmen and sophomore that were stepping up there too. Yeah, uh, when they when they got so hurt, so you know they have they're already getting some experience too. So. Yep. Yeah. So unfortunately, one of those guys was Tavion Coleman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So you, so you'll see you'll see that that is still a position that the defense is gonna that the team's gonna rely upon, especially when you have Halle and Phil Paella and Pukesi. Mm-hmm. I've forgot to mention Pukesi. Yeah. When you have those guys all back. That's still going to be the anchor. The defensive ends is a bigger question because you lose your two starters there yeah. in Vaughn's and Greshick. I mean, but. you still got Pat Joyner, right? You got Joyner. So, that you know, that's a salt. I mean, and he was – there were some times I believe that the death chart had an or next to his name. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, you have one solid thing there. But like you said, the other the other one's gone. So what, what are you doing there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll see how they fill in those holes. And then come spring ball, we'll, we'll enjoy – seeing what that positional group looks like and some of the open practices we get to watch. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. But certainly a big hit for Utah State football, but I don't think that there needs to be a panic in terms of uh, the culture that's trying to be created in the football program is crumbling or this or that. I think that this is just the 
this is just the reality of being a group of five program in the era of NIL and being able to transfer whenever, whenever you want, pretty much. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of our thoughts on uh, on the football team. Anything else, Jake, that you wanna you wanna add? Um, this one goes a little bit broader about the transfer portal, but I think one thing that's going to be really important for Utah State programs um, into the future is that if you do have people leaving and transferring, um, th- it has to be a, a loss to uh, you know a Power Five school or something. You can't have a lateral move. You can't have someone moving to somewhere else in the Mountain West, especially. Um, I feel like that will really reflect on the coaching staff if that you know if if those things happen. Um, I th- you know it showed what problems were at Nevada that Grishik was willing to transfer to Utah State. Um, and and so I, I think that is just an, an emphasis there is that except like yeah you'll you'll probably lose some of these these players to you know what what they may think is a bigger opportunity but you can't you can't uh, have a program that loses athletes to a I would call a lateral move yeah and so a tough reality for Utah State is now you're in a state where um, there are two power five schools now and for the past 10 years, and even before in the Mountain West, BYU in terms of their fan base and athletic department is greater, but in terms of competitiveness on the field and um, independent versus Mountain West, it wasn't as much of a upward move as a lateral move. Now yeah. it's easier to argue with the Big 12. That's more of a step up. We'll mm-hmm. see how sustainable the Big 12 is as a power conference without yeah. Oklahoma and Texas anchoring it. But that's still something that... It used to be not that long ago when we were little kids, the Mountain West had Utah and BYU and Utah State was in the whack, right? And now not only have the the differences between those schools grown, but the differences of the conferences and everything in the the division between group of five and power five, right? Got and a so lot that, bigger. So that is really tough for Utah State as they've always been kind of the, the third wheel of the state. And that's just the reality. That's not a diss on them. That's just how no. it is. But power five versus group of five that chasm only is growing right and so that's a big concern is yes it hurts less seeing byron volans get offers from florida state and notre dame yeah but if you're seeing byu just cherry pick the young talent at utah state and get them to provo yeah that that can't happen Mm -hmm. and that's they need to get those kids to stay they need to sell the development thing because you can get utah state guys can make the NFL. You can yeah. make money going through Utah State. What did D two? Excuse me, DT do on Sunday? Yep, it was a big big day for him. It was. Um, you know, so like you said, you got to promote those those guys, and um, I think that the team's trying to you know increase those relationships with their NFL guys. You know, Turbo has had a much bigger presence on the team this year than he has in the past. At least you know what I've been able to see. Seeing Robert Turbin travel to the bowl game. He wasn't working it with no. with his new yeah. job. He was just there to support. Mm-hmm. That was mega. Seeing Bobby Wagner in the the school, they've had some <laughs> disagreements. But seeing Bobby uh, in this little uh, promo video yeah, for the yeah, national yeah. championship with the Rams, they were choosing TCU or Georgia, and he's like, "Nah, Utah State." Mm-hmm. And so that that's the type of stuff that uh, that they need to keep having, and you need to keep getting guys in the NFL. Getting them in the draft is a big thing, which I don't think we'll see this year. Mm-hmm. But Devin Tompkins being on the 53-man roster, playing real minutes with the Buccaneers, that's huge. That's the stuff that 
the Aggies need to keep going. And some a, tra- a little bit of a tradition that they've started to build since the, the Gary Anderson era and even prior with Chris Cooley and Kevin Curtis, guys that have gone and played well in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it does seem like it's something they're aware of. Um, even with little things like during the game, did you start to notice um, that they would have – every Aggie in, in the NFL flash on the video board at some point during the game. So it's things like that that didn't happen in the past, or at least not last season, mm-hmm. um, that you know are developing and, and showing that they're, they're actively trying to build those relationships, I think, is really promising. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Awesome. Well, stick around. we got one more segment for you. Gymnastics starts their season on Friday. So stay right here on Aggie Radio. This broadcast is brought to you by Aggie Radio 92.3 KBLU and Holland American Line and Princess Cruises located in Alaska. Now hiring driver guides for summer 2022, they offer paid commercial driver training in Logan, Provo, and Rexburg. More information is available at alaskatourjobs.com. Once again, that is alaskatourjobs.com. In 1979, Larry H. Miller opened his first dealership in Utah. Though for years he'd worked in other places, he chose to open here because he loved this state. He valued what Utah's people value, integrity, hard work, and the desire to enrich the lives of others. And today, those values continue to drive us forward in business, in our communities, in life. The Larry H. Miller family of dealerships, driven by a love for Utah, driven by you. This broadcast is brought to you by Aggie Radio 92.3 KBLU and America First Credit Union. America First Credit Union offers a wide variety of financial services, including home loans for building, buying, and refinancing. More information available at AmericaFirst.com. Welcome back to Aggie Radio 92.3 KBLU LP Logan. This is the Aggie Radio Sports Show. I'm Jacob Nielsen. Alongside me is Jake Ellis, the sports manager of the Utah Statesman. This hour, we've been breaking down Utah State basketball, women's and men's, both coming off of tough losses to Boise State. Yeah. We're chatting a little bit, a little bit football, some uh, some change with the transfer portal, and discussing how that's impacted Utah State. And now we're going to talk a little bit of gymnastics, and then we got one other segment. Jake, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. After Amy Smith took off to Clemson, I couldn't tell you anything about Utah State gymnastics. So please fill us in. I know <laughs> there's a little bit in the winter sports magazine that that we're passing out after the Wyoming game about it. But tell us, Jake, what, what should we expect from Utah State gymnastics this winter? Well, they have a new coach, right? Kristen White. Um, she got hired, I believe an assistant at Arizona state. Um, so a pretty solid gymnastics school. She was an athlete herself at the university of Oklahoma, which is powerhouse in gymnastics. Right. So, um, definitely, you know, a pretty good pickup, uh, someone that hasn't been in the coaching game, too long she was mainly at club uh levels before but um you know this really could be a a nice prospect coach i think uh you know could you know there's a lot of potential here in the in the white era we'll we'll see how things fold out she hasn't even had her first meet yet so i might be putting a lot of pressure on her but um you know i i've I've gone to a couple practices um they've seemed really positive I've, i've seen a lot i'm not the biggest expert on gymnastics by any means but um from what i can tell on you know, chemistry and just team morale, it, it looks really good for the Aggies. So, um, you know, they they lost a lot of really stellar athletes that followed Amy Smith to Clemson. So I don't know that it's, a, you know, a mountain rim championship kind of season. But 
I think it's a, it's definitely not going to be a, a, an abysmal season or anything like that. So um, they start things out on Friday down at the Best of Utah meet at West Valley, uh, you know, the Maverick Center, that, mm-hmm. that arena down there. So that'll be a, a big one. Of course, the Utes always the, the heavy favorite. They're the Red Rocks, but um, should be a good meet. Um, we are sending a, a crew down to cover that. So follow follow us on Twitter uh, at Statesman Sports Desk for live coverage of that. And then, of course, you know, read at USUStatesman.com. We'll have recaps of that, and we'll have a couple, uh, you know, feature stories on athletes throughout this season. So it should be really exciting. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what they can do. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal accomplishment last year winning the mountain rim championship over mm-hmm. boise and byu ranked, um, ranked squads ranked squads point, and they yeah. correct me if i'm wrong utah state finished nationally ranked yeah i think 22 yeah, which is which is phenomenal so uh we'll see uh we'll see if christian white can uh, build on kind of the success that amy smith uh had with the program and uh and and it, it's fun it's an entertaining sport it's a good spectator sport and the it's incredible what they can do so we got a few more minutes left mm-hmm I wanna, I wanna brush up on your Aggie history. I wanna kind of quiz you a little bit here, right? Oh, okay, okay. So big announcement last week, or maybe the start of this week. I don't know. It's gonna be kind of a blur. I think it was last week. Um, the Aggies are gonna retire J.C. Carroll's number, right? Aggies yep. all-time leading scorer, number twenty, gonna be retired. Um, so my question for you, you know, we'll we'll have a lot more coverage of J.C. Carroll. Um, you know, some looks back. Uh, from the statesman leading up to his jersey retirement i believe february 18th uh it's the nevada home game um, which, which is awesome that they chose yeah. that game to do it <laughs> to, uh well rid- i mean just, riddle us why please well i mean nevada that they he faced nevada in a whack championship mm-hmm. in 2007 or 2008 and that that was one of he's jc carroll's just been in so many big games and Nevada is – it's really like you the whack the the perennial teams when he was there it was nevada Idaho, New Mexico State, and Boise State, and so that's fitting that that's the night that they're that they're doing it is all. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know. Um, obviously, let's explain the two levels of how Aggie basketball uh, honors their former players. So there, there's retired numbers, right? And then there's also some other numbers hung up there in the rafters, but you still see players wearing them, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked to Doug Huffman about this last year, and he said they're they're honored is what it's called. Yep. So there's retired and honored players. So I want to know your short list of who else needs to go up in those rafters in the near future. So maybe this will make it easier for me, but I think that it's logical. I'm not going to bring up anybody before J.C. Carroll because anyone before J.C. Carroll, they've had their opportunity, I feel like. To be honored, perhaps, and there are plenty of guys. I think that obviously some of the the main ones, um, Wayne Estes and Greg Grant, some of those guys are proudly represented already. Mm-hmm. But there have been a lot of great players as a recent, and so two guys that come to my mind with the honor their number, mm-hmm. and then one with the retired number, but. Reti- retiring a number in basketball is it's big it's heavy mm-hmm. it's heavy so i don't this isn't all the guys i think this is the only guy i think should have his number retired besides jc carroll okay the other there are more maybe you can honor them but i'll just go ahead and say it Jalen moore skyview product uh, you know was the diamond in the rough during the jury age dude was a stud excellent player for utah state he deserves to be in the in the rafters not as a retired number because he he didn't win 
a lot as a team. Mm-hmm. But how electric of a player and how loved he was, and he's still in the community, and I believe that he uh, – a different radio station. Yeah, he, yeah, he's active. He does yeah. stuff with Al Lewis, mm-hmm. right, yeah. for the Peru game. So he's somebody that I think deserves it. Mm-hmm. The other guy I will say is Ty Wesley. Mm-hmm. Ty Wesley just got inducted into the Aggies Hall of Fame. He was really the heart and soul of some of the win- winningness, the most, I can't pronounce words, but some of the most successful teams in Utah State basketball history with that stretch near the end of Stu Morrill's uh, tenor. He was the man, right? And he brought not only a, an offensive presence on the front court, but a kind of a chip on the shoulder mentality. And he's a dude that you couldn't really take any crap f- from. And he really brought the toughness to those Aggie teams, which helped them win so many games. So he's a guy, those are two guys that I would absolutely get on the wall. I don't know. What, what well, do you think? I think um, just for this tidbit of history, I learned last week alone, Ty Wesley should be honored. It's, did you know that he broke the backboard at a game? I did. Yeah. During second half warmups, um, this was, I, I was talking with my, my color commentator, uh, John Olson. And he says he went to this game as an ESPN Madness game that tipped off real late, like 10 o'clock or something. And during second half warmups, Ty Wesley shatters the backboard. <laughs> and they have to delay this game. That's like, it's already like 1130 at this point. That's crazy. They have to delay this game to replace that Pass backboard. Your bedtime, kids. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, they finally get it. They get the win. I think it was an NIAI squ- squad. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like an amazing game or something. But um, that's just an amazing fact alone and, and deserves <laughs> his uh, his name up in those rafters. So, Jake Ellis, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that game was a part of uh, ESPN's college basketball promotion that they used to have where it was 24 hours around the clock of college basketball. I believe so. The, so. To, to, kip, to tip off the season. And so they would legit convince schools to, to tip off a game at like 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like Northern Iowa would be playing somebody literally at the middle of the night. Yeah, just to keep it going all around the clock. I love so I, that. So I think that was one of those games. Is that yeah. was ten o'clock tip off, probably midnight Eastern. That fills fills up a chunk of the night. But yeah, awesome tidbit. Thanks for for adding that. I, <laughs> yeah, I wish there was a video of that somewhere. I uh, I can't find it. I looked. I yeah. looked for like a good half hour and I couldn't yeah. find it. But so th- those are my two guys. I would I would honor. What's What's in your mind with that? So talking with with John Olson, I also talked. With our advisor, the statesman John Zaray, um, other guys they listed um, all honors. They didn't really have anyone that came to mind that, that needed to be retired immediately, but um, Tony Brown, Spencer Nelson, and mm-hmm. Brady Jardine were other names that they thought should be honored. I I thought of mentioning Jardine, mm-hmm. Spencer, and Brady, both guys just a part of those latter two moral teams that just won so many games. Both of them absolutely worthy. Tell me a little bit about Brown. What? Well, I I don't you know I I couldn't I, I I didn't get the full story because he had to rush to another thing. But I all he he called was is is uh downtown Tony Brown. So um, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure the listeners are like, oh come on, you don't know Tony Brown. I'm sorry, but let, let's see if we can find something about him really quick. But that was one that that was like the first name that popped into John's head was Tony Brown. He's got to be honored. So that's a pretty high praise from my good friend John. So Tony Brown was a part of, I, I had thought this, but I wanted to look it up just mm-hmm. to to make sure. Um, I mean, he's a local guy, 
and his senior year was uh, was the 2002 team that the last time Utah State won in the NCAA tournament as a 12 seed, they defeated Ohio State. Tony Brown was a part of that team. Okay, there so you go. It, he's he's a winner. We know that. Mm-hmm. And I obviously advisor John Zaray <laughs> knew him probably personally because they both went to Mountain yeah. Crest at the same time. It sounds like if Tony Brown graduated in, in 02, but yeah, Spencer Nelson. Really, I think he's an underrated guy. How how incredible he was on the defensive side of the ball, and just he was one of those glue guys for the Aggies, and obviously someone that's still involved in the the community and a big part yeah. of the program. But absolutely, they should honor honor both those guys. Before we run out of time, the one guy that I think you could have a compelling case to retire his number. This number is honored on the wall with Greg Grant, number mm-hmm. five. I think you could retire with this guy. Okay. And it's Sam Merrill. <laughs> I think that Sam Merrill, I don't think he's quite as worthy as Jason Carroll because Jason Carroll is the all-time point scorer leader, yeah. right? And he was really the the face of the Stu Morrill era. But what Sam Merrill did to stay at Utah State after those two years with Tim Durier as an underclassman, he had he could have transferred anywhere in the country. He stays when Craig Smith comes in. Uh, they win the Mountain West regular season, Mountain West tournament, and go to March Madness for the first time in several years. The year later, he, as a senior, he averages 20 points per game. He breaks Wayne Estes' record to become the second leading scorer in Utah State history. And then that weekend in Las Vegas, right before COVID, <laughs> quarterfinals against New Mexico goes off, goes off against Wyoming. And then just the all time most legendary game in Utah state basketball history. I would say I wasn't around when Wayne Estes took him to the sweet 16, right? Sure. So (laughs) this is recency bias, but San Diego state one lost team, Malachi Flynn top five in the country. Sam Merrill leads them to that win with, his go-ahead three-pointer step back near the buzzer. The shot. The shot, right? And so I think that that's a guy, if anyone else besides J.C. Carroll that you have to immortalize, it's got to be Sam Merrill. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. And uh, if you want some of those recency-biased honors, you know, maybe you got to look back in the stat sheets and build a case in, in 10, 15 years or whatever, but you got to think about Niamh Keda. And you got to think about Justin Bean getting them up sure. there at some point. But those are those are our thoughts on on that. And uh, you know, and one last one last guy, mm-hmm. Dayogo Brito, legend, <laughs> yeah. my favorite, he, he, big buds, <laughs> greatest greatest role player in Utah State history, Dayogo Brito. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, obviously a huge accomplishment for J.C. Carroll, uh, well deserving of that retirement. And stick with the Statesman uh, leading up to that game. We're gonna have huge coverage uh, looking back. Um, into the career of J.C. Carroll. So thanks so much for listening to the Aggie Radio Sports Show today. Uh, make sure that uh, you you have the Aggie Radio uh, tuned in on your car for Aggie games, and then, of course, you can get the tune-in app and listen to them on your mobile device. So really exciting here. Thanks for listening, and for Jacob Nielsen, I'm Jake Ellis. Have a great night. KBLU LP Logan. 
Utah State University, online at aggieradio.com.